Shalom. Welcome. Welcome to Parsha Talk, live from Machane Ramah in the virtual Machane Ramah. I'm Rabbi Elliot Isaac Malamet, based in Highland Park, New Jersey. And joining me together, my great colleagues, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski from Congregation Anshe Chesed in New York City. Rabbi Barry Chesler, Jewish Studies Coordinator of the Schechter School of Long Island. Welcome, Chevra. It's so wonderful to see you on this medium, Zoom Torah. It's amazing to have you with us together, all of us together. We got a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about, but first we want to focus on Torah. Okay, well, first, first, first focus on Torah, but I'm just going to say I'm so happy to do this. You know, we love getting together in the summer in Machanenu Shalanu, and it's one of the things <laughs> I look forward to. And here we are, isolated in our homes and offices now, but we're so happy to all of our friends uh, from CRB that we can study a little Torah with you and bring Dutchess County's leading Torah <laughs> podcast to the whole yeah. wide world. The most popular Torah broadcast in Dutchess County. Barry. For, for many years for? running. <laughs> for many years running. Many years Let's focus for a second on Vayakel Pakude, the Parshiot, the double Parsha, ending off Sefer Shmot. I want to take a moment to just put Vayakel Pakude in context. And so, Rabbi Chester, take us into Vayakel Pakude and, and help us understand how this is completing the journey of the book of Exodus, certainly not completing the Torah, but where. Where is it bookmarking us uh, in, 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 in Exodus and in the Torah? Right. If we were in Shul on Shabbat, which few of us will be, at the end of the Torah reading, we would say, Chazak, Chazak, V'nit Chazak. And it's striking to me that we're ending the book of Exodus at this moment, Sefer Shmot. We began with the Jewish people descending as individuals, as the literal children and grandchildren of Jacob descending into Egypt, sort of disconnected from God. God, a little into the book, hears the cries of the people and sets in motion the train of events that culminate in the Exodus, which is not quite the midpoint of the book. And then we move on to the revelation at Mount Sinai, the giving of the civil law, what we call the civil law, parts of the criminal law, and then a large chunk of the text is focused on the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, which is going to center God's presence in the exact center of the wandering Jewish community. So, so basically what you're saying is that we start out really as the proto-Jewish nation. It's, it's B'nai Yisrael becoming Am-B'nai Yisrael. Then there's Yitziat Mitzrayim. Then there's Mount Har Sinai. And then there's the Mishkan, and that is a movement, if you can, all, you can almost put it on a kind of continuum, an arc that, that places you in a, in, a, in a way that enables B'nai Israel to move as a complete unit. Of course, it had its rupture that we read last week. I don't know, Rabbi Kamanowski, you want to reflect on, on the place of these parshiot in the imagination of the people and, and the place of the Mishkan, really, in terms of its centrality and how this you know, this, this book culminates in, in the Mishkan after all of its uh, great drama. You know, there's a, there's a, along that line, to respond to, the, to your question, there's a um, wonderful uh, view of the Ramban that the whole point 
of taking them out of Egypt was to restore them to the to the Madrega, the level that the that the ancestors had. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had an intensely intimate relationship with God. Um, they spoke to one another, and God pervaded their lives. And then that was lapsed for a long time. It was lapsed through years of slavery, and the people had a sense of alienation. And the Ramban says this uh, this hits the restoration point with the construction of the Mishkan. They are once again at the level that that was envisioned when when God made a breed with with Abraham. So what's so, fascinating in your in the Ram, in the Ramban and in what you're saying is let's not let's not look at just the book of Shemot, let's look at Breshit and exactly. and look at in terms of in terms of where we have come from Breshit. We've come from Breshit all the way to uh, to the end of Shemot, kind of restoring restoring the same level. Restoration restoration is, is a very key word. And it's because in in uh, in real life, not only in a mythical religion, we have ups and downs. You know, we have times when we're very uh, closely in tune with where we ought to be, with where we, you know, what, what we hope is a spiritual life, what we hope is a noble life, and yeah, we sink, Trust. and we well, lose that it. was evident last week, of course. Most definitely. Um, and I'm always looking in a, in, in a religious and spiritual context, I'm always looking for not, you know, here's how it's perfect, but here's how we're able to begin again, right? Here's how we're able to recover from disasters and and obviously last week's parsha with the disaster of the golden calf and that leading into the revelation of the 13 midot that, that's one of the reasons why i think that's just a super deep uh super deep element in the torah well look you know i, I think that pakuda the, the way it ends is um uh you know with with the um kianana nanai al hamishkan yomam laila bo leinei kol beit yisrael I love the way that the, 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 the text ends. You are going on a journey now. And the journey includes, the journey anticipates static places. It, it anticipates, you know, all the things that you, you, you've said. And, and right. the, the fact that the, 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 the last part of Pakude really tells you in, in both literarily and structurally, you know, that everything is complete. It, you get a sense after all of the fracture that we, we experienced last week with the Egel Azahav, now everything is complete and they're ready to go. They're ready to go. Except, you know, in our own present situation, you know, we are all stuck. This is, this is right, but there are a lot of different levels to read this. And I just want to harken back to the beginning of Exodus. At the very beginning, God is absent. And at the end of Exodus, his presence is so weighty that Moshe cannot even enter the Ohelmo Yeah, That's the book of Exodus. As you mentioned, though, we could begin with Breshit, and then we have that sense of restoration. And it's also good to remember that the Torah is going to continue for three more books, and the story will continue on even after the, the Torah as well. That's and right. the question, I think, for us is which of these levels do we find ourselves in today? In social isolation for many of us, apart physically from our communities, wondering where is God? And, and so what are, you know, what are some of the, the pointers for us to even begin to answer that question? Maybe one of the pointers for us to answer that question is in HaChodesh, 
because this week is also Parshat HaKodesh, and this is a good way to transfer into the Mafter that we would be reading uh, in, in Shul. And, and even if we're not going to be reading in Shul, we should certainly read it, uh, you know, from, from, from a book. You know, HaKodesh Hazel Lachem Rosh HaKodeshim. First of all, just tell us, why do we have this Parsha? What's this Parsha about? Rabbi Kalmanovsky, you want to take that? So we read the description of the first, uh, the first Pesach uh, in, in Egypt as we prepare to do the Pesach. You know, uh, our, ourselves, presumably, uh, when this first was, was begun to be read among the Jewish people, it's because they were preparing to do Korban Pesach. They were actually preparing to do the, the festival pilgrimage, the pilgrimage festival and all the, and all the sacrifices. But it's a long uh, feature of post-Temple Judaism and it's so deep, it's deeply layered into the Tanakh itself, the Torah itself, that you don't always get to perform mitzvot, but you do get to tell the story of mitzvot. Uh-huh. So we tell, we read this Parsha as Pesach is coming, um, and, and the, the key words, the key words that are, that are in this chapter and that, that we say in, in uh, well, it's in chapter 13, it comes right after HaChodesh, Vincha, and you are going to tell your descendants of this story. And Passover is just the story, uh, the holiday, about relating past events in ways that grip your heart and grip your soul and make you feel that you are part of this people. That is what the Jewish people are best at. We can tell each other a story. One generation can speak to another generation. And, uh, and we, can, we can discover that our own individual lives are meaningful because... They are part of this narrative that, that we read about here, part, partly in Exodus chapter 12. I want to focus on one suk in this, and the, the uh, Midrash on it, which Rashi also cites, um, says, uh, I have it to be in 12, verse 13. The blood shall be assigned for you upon the houses where you are, and then I'll see the blood, and I'll pass over your houses, or I'll have mercy on your houses. Bye, Carol. And there will, and the destroyer will not. There won't be the plague. The plague won't destroy you. When I strike down the Egyptians, now the the blood is a sign for you, and God says, and I will see it, which is like a little bit strange because presumably God is not. Uh, it doesn't need a sign. Uh, presumably, God can can see anything without without a smear of blood. But blood is a sign for you. And the midrash, which Rashi quotes, says that the blood is not on the outside of the house, but it's on the inside of the house. So the Israelites are sitting there. They're ending their slavery. They're feasting on Pesach. They're telling themselves uh, of, of what is happening to them. And if you look at their own houses smeared with blood. Now, what exactly do they have to see? I mean, first of all, as a, as a post-biblical Jew, I love the idea that the, the, that the sign is not really for the external world, but it's for us ourselves. I think it really brings home that to be, uh, a, to be a, par- a part of this people who has experienced slavery, and maybe it works particularly for us in this COVID, COVID spring, um, uh, you recognize your own pain. You have to recognize your own suffering. You have to see that there's some blood uh, on your doorposts because this is a place of not only, you know, maybe some good things, but this is a place of suffering. 
and and the the religious depth emerges out of being in a place where there's blood on the door. So I, I, w- I would almost take a, 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 a an approach that's from a completely different world, which is that the blood has has almost protective significance. That blood is the the living symbol of of God's protection and and life, and that life will protect you from from death. And that blood, as it's with its multiple meanings, one of which is purity, purification, that in placing the blood around the doorpost, you are, you are establishing your, your, your own domicile as a makom kadosh. And, and, and I can't help but think even emotionally that that has what, what is what, is be, what, what has become of us in the sense that we are, we are all now um, ordained to create sacred spaces in our homes. Look, we were talking about creating a davening space in, in our home, and, 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 and even on the internet, we're creating a sacred space. Believe it or not, we're, we're trying to establish a little bit of sanctity in this area, and I think that one of the, you know, as multivalent as the symbol of blood is, blood is, blood is exactly what you said, which is a symbol of pain, but blood is also the, the, the detergent, it's the way that you purify your, your space. Well, I would say, you know, multivalent is a great word because any poetry has, has multiple meanings, not, not a single meaning. That's what makes it poetry. And there's, there's the other great Midrash, which is, you say at the bris, you say to this baby, and by the way, there's coming up a bris from a CRB family who's also an Ancha Chesed family, Shirley Siegel. Just had a baby. And uh, there's going to be a bris. Unfortunately, I'm not going to get to go to it, but uh, for which Mazel Tov to Eric and Karen and and all their family. But they'll say at that bris, uh, live in your bloods, and blood, of course, in Hebrew is a plural word, like mayim, damim, plural word, uh, live in your bloods, dam pesach the covenantal rituals, the covenantal moment that we in this people share, flesh and blood, and our holiday is marked with, with blood as well. So, so I don't Rabbi Chester, you want to give a, a some reflection on on the covenant, the covenantal nature of of Hachodesh and 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 what exactly are we coming into now, and and, and what does this mean? I mean, what does it? What does the? What's, what's striking to me is that the original Pesach was a family ritual. Yeah, it was done in the home, and then in the course of the Bible, it's transformed into a temple ritual. Mm-hmm. and becomes a paradigm of temple sacrifice. With our Seder, we move it back to the home. And with COVID, even more closely in the home, because who knows what kind of guests we'll be able to have this year. And the meaning seems to be that our ultimate community is very much rooted in the family. And sometimes we have to withdraw into that to see what our blessings really are that if our family is not strong, then our community cannot be strong either. So let's take a moment to really focus in on those verses. And they're right at the beginning of the, of the Perek. It's verse three and four. Which means on the 10th of the month, each of them shall take a lamb to a family, a lamb to a household. And then the next verse, v'im and if the household is too small for a lamb, let him share one with a neighbor who dwells nearby. 
ולקחו ושכנו הקרוב אל ביתו במכסת נפשות, איש לפי אכלו תחוסו על עשה, a neighbor who dwells nearby in proportion to the number of persons you shall contribute for the lamb according to what each household will eat. This is a fascinating, fascinating set of verses which tells us exactly what you said, that is, the family is the locus, the family is the place where the covenantal drama plays itself out. The family is the place where we are experiencing this, um, me, the family mediates the covenantal drama. We are the, we are the medium for that. And so now what we are experiencing is that, that the family is going to be so nuclearized. I mean, I don't know of a Seder that's going to happen with, you know, with more than, I don't know, you know, the rules are now, you can't go more than 10 people. Certainly everyone's going to have to be very careful. We have to worry about elderly people at the Seder. This, this, is, this has a potential to really fracture people unless we provide, you know, tools and skills for people to compensate and, and hear, you know, for the people that use technology on Shabbat, I guess, uh, and Yontav, that, that, that they're going to FaceTime their, their, their seders. Maybe the people that are more sensitive to the use of technology, they're going to pre-seder and, and find ways. But it's going to be a, a devastating experience for people unless, unless what? Unless dot, dot, dot. Unless we can find some way to compensate for it in another way. I don't know how you're reflecting on this now. Uh, I'll take a shot at it. Well, this, this, pasuk, this pasuk, first of all, you know, how many people ate a lamb? I, I, I don't know. How many people, how many people was a lamb? And I think it's a, a lamb is about 70 people. So, I mean, last time I ate a lamb it was about 70 portions. <laughs> You're a vegetarian. <laughs> Are you still a vegan? Yes. Okay. Um, I have the... the he had a virtual Paschal, lamb. The Paschal yam. <laughs> the Paschal yam. <laughs> um, but that image of, first of all, I, I just love what Barry said because I was recently in a little learning session and somebody made the incorrect but very confident comment that, well, in ancient Israel, it was really about the, the tribe and not the family. And, and Amy and I were presenting together and Amy said, yeah, I don't think that's right. Um, families, a beta, a beta of uh, a, a, patrim, a patrimonial household in which there was some sort of, uh, what's that word, you know, paterfamilias. Uh, was an important unit. And here we see it exactly as, as you said, Barry. It's not, this is not an Am Yisrael. I mean, it is an Am Yisrael thing, but it is, it is for each subunit, each family has its own unique experience of it. And I, and I have no idea, like really, by, by the Chazal, everybody's just eating a Kezayat, so it's a small piece of lamb and who knows, you know, but, but presumably in the Torah itself, it means that this is the feast and however many people the feast is, and first of all, you don't want to be so selfish that anything goes to waste. Right. First of all, you can't let it go to waste because it's lototiru meno ad boker. Don't let it go until the morning. But, but you know, there are small families that, that may not be able to afford or whatever. You have to maximize the number of, of participants. But I don't have an answer um, to Elliot what you said, but I know I'm going to come up with some sort of drash about the smallness of the households yeah. and the need yeah. to connect. I think um, I, I, I'm not happy about the technology but I, I also I, I mean I'm generally speaking very strongly against the use of any of these electronic technologies on Shabbat or Yom Tov but I do feel we're in an exigent moment and there'll be a lot of lonely people who really cannot have a Seder 
Um, so and that, so to we're going to come gonna up with some the, ways there's a good second seder to, to help people do that. The congregational challenge is going to be to, to try and, and connect people and to maintain the sanctity on some level uh, and, and to understand that, that this is, you know, it's when we say I think it's going to be not a bechi, a lot of, you know, pain and anguish in, in anticipating that how is this night going to be so impossibly different from all other nights? It's going to be so incredibly different from, from every other, it's never mind other nights of the year, every other Pesach of our lifetimes, you know. Look, I've had small seders. We've all, you know, had different environments for seders. Um, but, but knowing that we are in a, a state of, of, you know, real fear and real right. concern for, for our fellow human beings, our fellow community members, etc. Well, those small seders were by choice. And now it's in force, and it's not just you or me or, or Jeremy. It's going to be everyone. Yeah. And that situation is, creates a lot of difficulty for people and a lot of anxiety that is difficult to mediate. You know, I, I just, um, I'm sure all of our communities have their own unique features. In New York, um, you know, you have a lot of people with, with big families and are well integrated, and you have a lot of lonely people. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure it's true everywhere, but I'm really, you know, we, we typically speaking, of course, mash people up to go to someone else's house if they're, if they're, you know, they don't have a family or they don't have a white family or they, whatever reason they do. Well, we can't do that this year because you can't, you can't send people into other people's homes. Um, and, and so there are a lot of people who are going to be alone. So it, it is on us, uh, is on Jewish community broadly and, and us as, as rabbis to figure out ways to, link people in as much as possible because this really is a heartbreaker Let, let's um let's this, the one, this, the one, this is the one as you guys know the the two meets vote about which the torah says there is karate there is the cutoff from the jewish people if you don't two positive meets vote there are negative things you can do for the punishment the punishment of which is to be thrown out no no circumcision and no passover is essentially like being excluded from the people so we got to make sure that that's so, so crucial yeah so crucial Let's move into the conclusion here, which is, I want to talk about this idea of covenant just on a different level, which is the, that, that what is emerging in our, in our moment is, is the necessity of a social covenant. That is to say, a covenant that each of us has to make with each other. And that, that is, I think, manifest through the vocabulary of social distancing, uh, flattening the curve, you know, reducing the spread, etc. I think the fact, I think what we want to impress in here, let's direct ourselves to our, our chanichim, our, our students, and of course, you know, our communities also, and say, you know, what, what are the constitutive elements of a covenant now? What makes up a covenant now in this moment, in this extreme sha'at chak, in this emergency moment, what are the elements of a social covenant for, for us now? I want to give some thought to that. Well, I imagine for a moment what this would have been like 50 years ago when we simply did not have the technology. Here we can see each other, we can talk to each other, and we could do things that just were not available to people a generation or two, let alone tens of generations ago. And that part I think is important. And I think that 
imagination has to be part of our social covenant. We have to be able to reach beyond ourselves, not just physically, but even imaginatively. And we don't know what's going to be. I mean, the, the real heartbreak, I think, comes from the lack of knowledge of how anything is going to turn out. Everyone You know, we're living in such a, a, a technological era where, where pre the virus, you know, you'd see people go, you know, going out to, to dinner and all they would do is spend time on their phones, you know. And now we're, we're going to be so saturated with this, we're going to crave human contact. I think what, what we are all beginning to miss so, so deeply is the level of, of human contact that we took for granted. And that part of the social covenant now is, is really, I, I, I love what you said, Barry, which is we need to uh, in, engage, ignite our, our imaginations to maximize ways of, of, of taking care of each other. Jeremy. You know, speaking to our Hanichim, it is obviously the case that for the vast number of, of kids who come through our camp, um, the community that they feel connected to is so deep in their lives. They, they hold it with them when they're older and in the, in the wintertime when they're not at camp, um, they, they go back to that feeling of togetherness with their friends and, and with their community. And it's a testament to the reality that you can have some experiences that stick with you and continue to shape you. Um, even when they are not present in your life. Yes. That's Judaism, okay? Um, we can tell stories. Hayom atem yotzim. Today is the day you leave Egypt. And if you tell the story in the right way, in that magic way, today yeah. becomes the day you leave Egypt. And, and so I think that our chanichim, if we are so lucky enough that any of you or your parents are listening to this wonderful Torah podcast. <laughs> watching. <laughs> watching this Torah podcast. Um, I think you guys can get it, right? That there's, this is going to be a Pesach that is in many ways less festive, um, less celebratory, uh, smaller, and it's going to be like a little bit of a flat note in some respects, uh, uh, perhaps. So um, let's end with, with some chizuk. But, but, but you will be able to tell this story and it will restore your connection. And to the Hanichim, I hope you guys can perhaps also feel uh, connected to these other experiences that you love. You guys got it. You guys know what it's like. Um, and uh, and uh, your covenant with the people with whom you so what I would say, experience is what binds you together. Go ahead, Barry. I'd like to come back to the first verse of the Mafter HaChoros HaZayyelachem, and that this can be for us a new way of counting. It can be a new beginning if we are purposeful. And that will determine how we emerge from this crisis. And I like to think that for our ancestors who were living in Egypt that fateful night so long ago, they did not know what the future would bring for them. They were about to go on a journey that was both physical and spiritual. And as we've mentioned already, had many ups and downs along the way, but they did so with purpose. And that made all the difference, not only for them, but for us as well, because we still thousands of years later. So with this, we're going we're gonna to kind of bring it to a conclusion. And I think for Divrei Chizuk, for words of strengthening to our 
our memberships, the people that are going to watch this, the anonymous people that, that are going to find this beautiful Torah talk, let's offer them the sense of, of, of strength and hope. First of all, and, and saying prayer, you know, filled with um, of thought towards people that are now in quarantine, people that are now isolated, people that are, are, are sick and, and dealing with this uh, in the most physical way, and of course, people who, who are feeling tremendous fear. Shomer uh, Yisrael, God will guard us, God will take care of us, and God will help our, our, us and give us strength. Let God give us strength in these days of, of fear. And that is something that um, I think I want to I want to just share uh, as we bring this to a conclusion. Rabbi Kamenovsky Abracha, something to to give us chizuk. Well, that's a great pasuk. God does not sleep, um, and and uh, I think that if there's anything the Jewish experience has told us over those centuries is that we are a people of great patience and endurance. We have infinite and vast reserves of hope. And so some things, some things will be hard, but we have the capacity in us to keep going because, listen, worse things have happened to the Jewish people than the coronavirus. Okay. We're going to survive this. We'll survive. We will yeah. survive. Worse, worse things have happened to the Jewish people and worse things have happened to Jewish people. <laughs> so you're going to survive this and you're going to live to celebrate another Pesach. And next Pesach, it's going to be even sweeter. Yeah. The question about celebrating this Pesach is, where am I going to buy the food? How am I going to get all the Pesach food? That uh, should be your last word. Rabbi Chester. Uh, I think the words of Chizuk are Shabbat Shalom and the Shabbat Shalom. We wish everyone a peaceful oh, Shabbat so and also a sense of wholeness and completion on Shabbat as only Shabbat can bring to us. Amen. Well, we'll see you at the amphitheater for Kabbalah. Absolutely. For Rabbi Kalmanovsky, Rabbi Chesler, I'm Elliot Malmet, Rabbi Elliot Malmet. Thank you for joining us. It's been great. See you. See you next week. Bye -bye. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.